Um, it's not quite so important, though you do spend a lot of time uh, looking at people walking around. But in third-person games, the thing that most people spend most of their time doing is looking at your walk cycle. So that's got to be a really good walk cycle. It's just like, it's got to be the best. Because when they're not looking at your walk cycle, they're actually playing the game, shooting at things, picking up things. Um, half the time they're looking at the, the HUD, so you know, that's got to be nice and stuff. But it's, it's crazy the amount of time people spend just looking at the, the back of their character, um, walking along. So be nice to do it well. So yeah, the, these two main things, running and walking and shooting at the player take up the vast majority. Uh, um, sorry, yes, this is AI shooting at the player take up the vast majority of the time of what's going on on screen. Um, we're pretty good at doing people shooting at you. It's kind of simple. It's an animation. Um, rubbish at walking and running. I've seen like two games that have even half impressed me. And the rest is just like, I mean, it's, it's not that easy, which is probably why people just go, ah, whatever. Um, but let's, let's do it right. So normally we use uh, Granny as our favorite model. Um, she's got this big long dress, rubbish for showing a walk cycle, plus she sort of minces along like that. Um, so, so we got a, a slightly different variation. And, uh, <laughs> so this is uh, the, uh, the unique imagination of Steve Theodore. Um, thanks, Steve. You should have seen it when it was modeling. Starts with no clothes on, then puts. <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. Anyway, so this is Granny, uh, warrior, sort of queen mum or something. And um, so she's just doing a walk cycle. And uh, you can speed her up and she can do a jog. Like a fast one. Oh, maybe the mouse goes wrong. So she can do all sorts of running around and stuff like that. So you get the idea. It's a pretty simple demo. Or so you'd think. So let's let's start with a couple of principles. I wanted to make this realistic, so it's not uh, it's as little like a game demo, uh, demo as possible. I mean, obviously it is a demo, but um, it, it's got to be something like what you put in the game. And the principles of uh, a, a well-natured animation system are that it doesn't take control. Um, character movement, the the movement of like the the center of gravity or the pelvis or you know, whatever you sort of take as the middle of your like collision bounding box or whatever is, is determined by the player, uh, the game logic, the collision system which then prevents some of those movements and then the physics system which does like crazy stuff. Um, and, and the thing that doesn't influence it is the animation system. It's the animation system's job to take this highly responsive uh, player they're doing exactly what the player wants to do and make it look as good as possible. It is not the animation system's job to make it sort of flow really beautifully but lose control. Now, it works for some games. Prince of Persia is, is probably the, the best known example. Um, but a lot of people really just, just hate the, the spongy feel. Oh, and fighters as well, a, a, a much more indirect sort of um, style. So this doesn't mean that the animations have no control. They determine a bunch of sort of default things. So the artist makes a walk that looks natural for the character. And then 
at start of day when you load the, the walk cycle in, you go, oh, how fast does that move? Okay, so let's, let's make that the, the standard walk speed. Now, in some cases, you might, might say, you know, look, you can't speed it up or slow it down too much. It'll break the game. You know, one character can run much faster than the other. So uh, those are constraints. But they're constraints that, you know, the designer says to the artist, it's like code doesn't care about that. It's like... Uh, and even if, if you did enforce that, there's a problem that, you know, if you say, well, that's a very nice animation you've coded, but it's too fast, so I'm just going to slow stuff down, and then the animator's going, hey, you're not playing the walk cycle that I actually made. You're doing some weird lerp stuff most of the time. So that, that, that channel's got to be used anyway. Uh, complex motions, getting in and out of cars was the one I forgot. Um, just, yeah, okay, let it do, let it, do its stuff. And th that's just too tedious to, to do properly. Uh, sorry, in, in code. We've got these weird unnatural gamisms that you need to respect. Players expect it. Zero wind-up jumps. I hit the jump key. I should be going that direction instantly. None of this wind-up. I don't care if you know, you're in this weird pose here. I want you to be moving there, that way. So um, stand to runs. It's like I have a, a D-pad. I'm pushing it or I'm not. Uh, none of this speed up rubbish, and um, no scraping on walls is. Uh, we're, we're all sort of kind of cool players. We we have instant sort of. We automatically straighten up because it looks good. Novice players will just like run at, at an angle of ten degrees to a wall and just scrape their nose along it, and go, "Wow, this looks really shit." It's like, well, you're running into the wall. What do you want? I want it to look good. <laughs> you can cheat with AIs because you can just say. Hey, no, you have to do the wind-up. No, no instant jumping. That's, that's rubbish. Looks awful. So let's start with the basics, just walking forwards, constant speed. So the, this demo allows me to change the speed of the walk. Um, not applicable to every game, but it's, it's kind of nice. So we have multiple walk cycles, in this case three of them, a slow, medium, and fast. The medium is kind of the default speed, and then... You know, if you're walking uphill, you might slow down, things like that. Each of the actual animations is just a single walk cycle. They all, in fact, they all are single walk cycles. They all start and end with the left foot down, mid-stride. So they're, they're all starting and ending in this, in this reference pose, which means they all start synced and so on. You then, when you load them up, uh, you calculate their actual speed in meters per second for each of the animations, because, obviously, they're different speeds. They're also different cadences, so they have different numbers of uh, strides per second. So they have these two different numbers, which is actual attained speed and number of steps per second. And you can have animations that have a lot of steps per second, but are the same speed as one that has few steps, like a big long stride is about the same speed as like a slow sort of jog type thing. So anyway, you find out the, the actual speed that this, this covers. You then say, well, for each separate animation, you say, well, how fast do I need to play this animation to actually get, you know, the, the player says they want to do 0.8 meters per second, so uh, for each of these slow, medium, and fast animations. And obviously, the slow animations, we're going to need to speed them up quite a bit, and that's going to look unnatural. And the fast ones, we're going to have to slow them down for a, a medium one. So we, uh, we find the, the animations that are obviously closest and use those, the... I just use the nearest two and do a lerp. Um, but you also lerp this frequency. 
to find a global cycles per second. You then make all the animations that you're playing go at this number of cycles per second. Because if the animations are not synced, you can't blend them. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to blend something with the left foot down and something with the right foot down. You get this sort of weirdly hovering thing. So they must always stay in lockstep um, in phase, even though they're different lengths, which is why I do all this faffing around with frequencies. So it does sound complex, but it does cope with animations that have this sort of wide variation in in the gate, and it means that the animators can compose pretty much what looks good, and you're not saying, no, 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 this, this animation's 29, 29 frames long, it needs to be 28, this isn't working, look, it's drifting out of phase, oh, and now, uh, all this sort of stuff. Um, and it copes with just as many animations as you like, which is nice, rather than forcing two. Oh, I'll show you quick, So this is the kind of medium walk. And then I can slow it down to, this is a completely different animation, which is a sort of slow, slow little doddering walk. You see the cadence doesn't change much. It's mainly a change in the stride length. And then as we, well, sorry. Too smart. And that's the sort of fast walk, which is really quite a long stride length. I think it's slightly faster frequency, but still all the change in speed is done by the stride length. And also she does different things with, her, with the sword, how amazingly she holds it and stuff. So I don't know if you noticed, but when I changed speeds, there was a lean forwards. And when you decelerate, there's a slight lean backwards. Um, there's a whole variety of effects that this has on the body. Uh, you dig the heels in for a slowdown and you get up on your toes. And this happens even at, at walks. Um, it is very subtle for walks because there isn't a great deal of change of speed. But it is actually there. And I, I find it very difficult to actually see the thing. But if I turn it off, it looks wrong. Um, you get this sort of robotism thing. You sort of magically speed up. It looks very strange. Um, it is a subtle effect, but uh, so you have, have two more walk animations. One is a speed up one, one is a slow down one. The important thing is they don't actually speed up or slow down. Both these animations have exactly the same constant ground speed as the medium speed walk. They just have the motions. Of, so it's this sort of weird thing that, that looks like it should be speeding up but isn't. Um, Debug keystrokes. No. I think these are written down on a piece of paper. Huh. Somewhere. Lost it now. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay. So let me just show you. So this is the this is the slow walk, but it's been sped up because she needs to do that. This is the medium walk, which is about correct speed. And this is the fast walk, which has now been slowed down because she actually wants to travel slow. Now, this is the, the speeding up walk, which is absolutely constant speed. Um, it's just this, this lean. And as you can see, they're very exaggerated. And, uh, and she's doing you know, the sort of balance thing. So they're very exaggerated. And in practice, you never blend all the way to them. 
Um, they're very slight little things. Uh, but you do the exaggeration just because then you've got the blend space. Um, it's, it's hard to extrapolate beyond the blend space. You could if you wanted to fill in some more, more realistic ones, but um, it's the key now. Uh, so uh, this is fairly obvious. You, you extract the acceleration from some heuristic uh, from the game. You want to damp it fairly heavily. Otherwise, the lerp kicks in very suddenly, and she sort of goes jerk. Just you know, with, so you want to damp that quite a lot. Um, the heuristics you know, depend on what your control scheme is and all that sort of stuff. So that's. Um. So uh, again, we play these two animations in just lockstep phase. Uh, and just blend towards them. It does mean that if you're accelerating hard, the three walk speeds that, that we had, they all get blended away from towards the acceleration one. And there's only one of those. And in theory, you should have a, a fast, medium, and slow one of those. But it's just not worth the effort, especially as you almost never get towards the full one. Uh, you're always sort of somewhere in the blend space in between them. So the small fraction blended in, it's, it's like a, a hint or um, uh, the, uh, the displacement map stuff that, um, that was talked about last night. Uh, it's, it's, it's more the difference between a normal walk and a, and a slowing down and speeding up. So walking and running. So if we accelerate a bit faster, she just breaks into a, a run. We can slow down quite a bit. And she keeps up the run. She keeps this gait, but it's, a, it's just a, a jog now. And, um, and there's a manual toggle, and there's quite a lot of overlap between run and walk. <coughs> so because changing gait is kind of unnatural, and we don't, don't tend to do it much, so you want to make sure that the runs and the walks overlap quite a bit. Uh, this, is the, this is to stop unnecessary transitions, but also just because that's the natural thing. Once you're running, you tend to stay running. It's just a different animation set, exactly the same five animations, fast, medium, slow, accelerate, decelerate, do exactly the same math. It's just all the speeds have changed slightly according to the animations. So in fact, as far as this is concerned, you could swap the two animation sets around. It would just work. So The transitions are the only thing that care. If you try and run, uh, if, yes, if you're in a run and you slow down slower than the slowest run, you switch. You're doing a walk, and you go faster than the fastest walk. It switches to a run. The uh, you don't have to do the a, a specific transition. It's a fairly quick transition, so you can just just blend at any time, and it looks fine. I, I think it was mentioned yesterday. Crossfades between two animations. You do them quick. It's fine. No, no one cares. But the the sort of physically correct thing is to not do it in the middle of a a walk. You wait until one foot just lifts off the ground. That's when you start it. You transition while the foot is in the air, and the transition must have finished by the time that foot hits. Um, so it's a simple matter of timing when the foot comes off, when the foot goes down. This sounds complex, but actually, this thing of being able to extract foot, the times and uh, durations of when foot feet leave the ground and when they hit, we're going to extract all that later anyway for the footstep IK. So it's actually really simple code. Oh, and I just do a simple look. You could actually have an animation that says this is a hand-authored transition, but it's a really fast transition, so it's fine. 
So turning, the other, the other effect is uh, turning. Now at walk speeds, I just, she just turns. Uh, you could do a slight lean, uh, manual sort of code lean uh, in IK, um, but it's not too bad. When she runs though, I actually have, uh, <coughs> speed her up a bit. There's a decent bit of body lean. Kind of seen the, the effect kicking in. And there's also two different animations for left and right lean because she does slightly different things with her arms. Um, I can accentuate this, I think. Oh, I see, I've already turned it down. Hey. So there's quite a lot of lean. You can see she's, she's really digging into that corner with that inside arm and shoulder. And then you can see the arm sort of coming out like that. So. So for walking, I just ignore it. Um, it's just not worth the animation effort. Uh, you typically got like 30 of these things to do. Adding a couple more animations is just tedious. So uh, these two animations are medium run speed again. They're extreme left and right leans. Again, the animations actually go straight. They don't do it in a, do it in a curve. Um, I think they were actually authored so they go in a curve. And then he just uh, stopped the bone uh, the root bone turning and just did it straight. So you calculate your turning amount uh, from the game input again in whatever heuristic you have. You know, if it's a D pad, then it's kind of you just get this binary left right, and you want to damp that a lot and so on. That's all kind of stuff you just need to play with according to your control scheme. Um, just to emphasize, when I say the rotation or the the acceleration is damped, I mean the effect on the animations. The gameplay, the actual effect, she instantly just turns, right? That's the game's problem. How fast she's moving, which direction she's turning, animation system doesn't control that. That's just like, this is what the game does. So it's purely the effects that the animation plays. So in this case, it's just to stop. You know, she's running along, and then you suddenly do a hard turn, and the body just sort of goes pop. It's very unphysical. Um, looks very strange. So the, that's all the animations I have. It's 12 animations in total. Um, so the actual blend space is 4D. It's four, so there's the linear speed, which blends in one direction. There's the turning speed, acceleration and deceleration, and the gate, which is simply walking or running and the transition in between. Now, in theory, I have three, three stops at each of these. I have a, a steady state, I have an acceleration, I have a deceleration, I have a no turning, turning left, turning right, linear speed, I have three walks. And gate, I have two. So that's like uh, nine, uh, 18, 18 animations. So I don't have an awful lot of these, I only have 12. And wait, that's 20, 54 or something crazy like that. Um, on the fly math. So, most of the corners of the blend space do not have an animation associated with them uh, because most of the time you don't get there. You don't have like a fast acceleration with a hard left turn. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, you never actually get to that blend space. And even 12, maybe you don't want that for some of the simpler characters. You just go, oh, you know what? I don't want the lean animations. I'll just, I'll just IK something in. It'll be fine. So here are the 12 animations. 
Um, this is basically how you calculate the blend weights. And these always sum to, these are the blend weights on the left with the name of the animation. They always sum to one. So I have walk and run, which, you know, walk is one minus run and so on. Slow, medium, and fast walks, which is derived from what's my, what's my speed? What's the speed of the walks? Okay, find the nearest two. And the runs are exactly the same thing, only with the run speeds. Steady acceleration, deceleration. Again, this column sums to one. This column always sums to one. No turn, left turn, right turn. Multiple one altogether, that's fine. You notice that only the runs have the turns. On the walks, there are no turns. So I just ignore that interpolation value. She just rotates. Strafing's kind of an odd thing. Uh, gamers expect it. They don't want to. They want to adjust slightly right to actually. You know, they're walking forwards. There's a doorway. They don't quite fit. They just want to sidestep right. Um, they don't want to you know, turn and do all this sort of stuff. So in an RPG like this, where she's wielding a sword, the direction that she's facing in isn't too vital. So what you'd probably do is say, okay, he was walking forwards, and then he applied a bit of strafe. So the composite motion isn't that way, it's now that way. So all I'll do is I'll just turn the character and walk them that way. So strafing leads to turning, um, which means that you can completely ignore strafing because you don't have any. You just have a bunch of turns. Um, in shooters, it's a very different situation. In shooters, the guy's got the rifle to the shoulder or something, and the direction the weapon facing in, that's, that's it. That's the game, is which direction this weapon is facing in. You must not change this. Now, to be realistic, the sort of shooter's pose is like that, and you can't really turn the body all that much um, and still remain in a proper sort of shooting pose. So people do actually strafe. They just you know, walk around like this. It's kind of bizarre. But, so, um, so the easy thing is, is the actual RPG thing to just do a turn. Uh, that's too easy, so I did the strafing. So it looks kind of goofy with a, her waving a sword, but I'll just show you. So here we have Granny, and we just strafe to the left, straight to the right. So yeah, it looks kind of strange with a sword, um, but it is And the animation system is, again, doing its best. Uh, she's instantaneously changing strafe position so you can, you know, sort of make her do weird little dances like that as the animation system tries to keep up. But that's, that's because I'm being a pathological user. Uh, so for strafing, you could have uh, actual eight animations in each walk direction, lurk between the two. Um, eight extra animations is kind of a lot, uh, especially if if it's not a particularly important part of your game or something. Um, so, so here I don't do anything. There's no extra animation. I just move the body and the IK, the foot IK, which I'm going to do, uh, it just copes, which is kind of nice. The only modification I needed to do was that the, the footstep prediction that says, hey, where should I be planting this foot uh, on the ground, that looks at the strafe and takes that into account. So there's this concept of footfalls. Um, a footfall, slightly vague terminology, I call a footfall the time when the foot goes down or comes up indeed. So 
when I talk about that, it's, it's always a time thing. Um, this is similar to the, the constraint intervals stuff that was talked about before. Um, it is uh, a binary thing. The foot is either down or not. It's either constrained or it's not. And it's just represented by two times for each single walk cycle, an up time and a down time. And you have one of these per foot. So uh, the way it's actually authored uh, is uh, you have an attribute per foot in the art package, and it just goes from 0.0 to 1.0. You can use the fractional stuff for like a foot slip in a, in a fast run. As the foot comes off, it can like skid across the ground a bit. So you can use that there to just say, oh, yeah, yeah there is a bit of foot slippage here. And for static poses, you can say, you know, these would both be half because I'm equally balanced, I'm sort of lounging around on, on one foot. There's like a point 0.1 on there because I probably should keep it stationary, but if you want to move it, well, it's not, not a big deal. If I want to move this one, I really should shift my gait and do that. Uh, so I, I just load these in, and at the start of the day, I just sample them and find where they go above and below, like 0.95. And that produces uh, two times. And then there's a bunch of utility functions, so I can say, hey, I'm currently here in the cycle. Uh, is my foot down or up? Uh, how long is it till there's the next up or down transition? And what fraction of the way through the current state am I? Um, and this is all the stuff that, uh, when I talked about you want to do the walk-to-run transition, this now is trivial. It's just like, okay, hey, look, a foot just went from down to being up. I can start my run transition. How long till it goes down? Oh, look, this just all comes out very easily. I can just uh, make sure that the, the scale and offset works for that transition. Um, blending multiple footfalls, uh, you could, uh, these constrained intervals, you could do something fancy. I just blended the start and end time with a lerp, and that seems to work fine. Seeing as all the animations are synchronized anyway, um, that seems to work fine. Uh, probably if you're doing different animations, maybe you need to do something smarter, but different animations kind of don't, don't lerp very well together. So it's just a bunch of utility functions, but it, it's, it's something you don't think that you'll need, but uh, incredibly useful once you go, right, let's just write this code. Hey, look, I can now just feed it a signal, and I can ask things about the signal. So the next concept is a foot step. Again, sorry about the terminology. So a foot fall is a time thing. A foot step is a position. And it's the position when the foot first hits the ground. If, if the foot then subsequently slips, I don't care. That, that's you know, encoded in the animation or whatever. Um, but it's when it first hits the ground. So when, when the footfall goes from 0 to 1. Now, each foot has two footsteps. They have a future one, which is always being continuously predicted. It's, it's like when you're walking along, you're scanning along to see where, where you're going to walk. Um, and a past or current one. Um, if the foot is down, then it's obviously the current one. As soon as the foot comes up, it's the past one. So you always have two. Uh, the instant the foot touches down, the currently predicted one becomes the past one. You start predicting the next one. Um, in this demo, as soon as the foot goes down, that's it. That is the past footprint. It can never, it can never move again. Um, if you're sliding or you've got knocked off your feet by a physics thing, then obviously you don't want to glue that foot down forever. But yeah. Simple demo. So I'll show you the footprints. 
There we go. So this is showing all four footprints, the past or current and the future for each foot. So you can see that her feet are, so these, these leading ones are the predicted ones. You can see that her feet are actually getting there. Oh, yes, sorry. Yes, this foot slip you're seeing is in the animation. Um, I'm not entirely sure where you put it in there, but yeah. I'll just change to the walk, which doesn't have one. Yeah, well, the curious thing is the slow run slips, and then the medium run doesn't. So that makes no sense to me, but I'm not an animator. So, um, so you can see as, as, I, as I start turning, these the prediction footprints um, turn with me, or turn ahead of me, in fact. And as I speed up, they'll get longer. And then as I slow down, they get closer together. It's kind of subtle effect with the um, with the walks because uh, they're, they're it's the no, it is the stride length. So you can see that. Stay with the walks. You say that that slip is distracting. So uh, the way I, the future footstep is always is continuously predicted. It's not like I predict it once per cycle or something. So you find the time uh, until the next foot down, which is which is the place where the net, where the footprints are uh, where the footsteps are, are nominally at. Um, so you predict the the current motion of the root bone forwards to that time, and you also sample the animations of that time. And then you know, so I may be here in the middle of the cycle, my foot in the, in the air, but I look ahead, I say, when's the next foot fall? It goes, well, it's at this time. So I go, okay, the animation at that time is in this state. I move my hips forward to that time, and then I go, right, that's where the footprint is. So I'm here, and I can forward predict. And then I have this... What on earth is that? Can you do? Ah. Oh, I know what the key does. Don't do that. Why isn't where? Always give your debug keys useful names. Oh, there we go. There we go. Right. So I have this landscape that is curiously popping. But oh yes, yes, there's some some teapots. That that great bit of coder art. Um, so there's there's this. Uh, so there's a variety of uh, landscape waveforms. And there's a random one and a flat one and some sine waves and uh, some steps up and down. So I'll do the steps up and down because that's kind of easy. Um, so anyway, yes, sample the landscape height at that and just, just move the predicted one up to the right foot. And then the IK is obviously going to do some seeking. 
we'll get up to. So Strayson turns are special. You don't predict, uh, when I said you predict the motion to the, to the next foot fall, as the foot just goes down, in fact, Strayson turns you predict to the next mid-step. So it's quarter of a cycle on. And you do this because when you're strafing or turning, what you want is that when you're doing the action, by the time you get to mid-step, that foot should be straight and directly under your body. Otherwise, you're going to fall over. Or, or if it's not straight, you get extra torsion, which is just uncomfortable. So people tend to plant their foot so that by mid-stride, the foot is straight ahead and directly under the body. Or, or you know, it'll be slightly offset because you're, you're doing this, this walk thing. But anyway, so that'll be the, the natural pose. So if I'm walking in a circle, I will look ahead. I will pre-turn my foot so that by the time I get there, and ditto with a strafe, I'll step further out. So you, you do further prediction ahead. So you can see a, a rear view as, as I strafe, the footprints move quite a bit, the predicted ones. And you can see her stepping out. If I slow down time, so you can see the instant the foot touches down, she's actually now wider. Now, if you turn this down, uh, so that sorry, so that at mid stride, it's actually under her body. <coughs> we'll find a key. So if I turn this off, and she just predicts to the to the next foot fall, so you can see that. As she plants it, it's underneath her body. The problem is that at mid-stride, it's like, well, what's holding her up? <laughs> She's leaning over weirdly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a subtlety. And, and you can see if I come up to normal speed, it kind of looks sort of odd. She's just like permanently off to one side. Whereas that looks much more balanced and natural. So there's this problem with um, discontinuities. As I, as I, the pathological user, discontinuously change my user inputs, so the predicted footstep at least moves smoothly. There's never any abrupt move. But a smooth change in x, y, uh, x, z can change the predicted height because um, Somewhat foolishly, I have chosen to have a discontinuous height field. Uh, but I thought, hey, nice pathological case. You can get this right. Anything will work. So I damp the predicted foot. Sorry, I should damp the predicted footstep height to prevent this pop. I actually don't. Now, the interesting thing is I only notice this very occasionally, even on this sort of landscape, which you think, hey, look, it's got tons of little steps and stuff. But it actually doesn't happen that often. For example, in a completely straight walk, you can see, although the, the steps up and stuff, the predicted footprints are never actually moving uh, because I'm not applying user input. So I apply user input, and you can sometimes see that the one of these two footprints ahead is sort of popping up or down. Um, it has very little effect. 
So that's a, a subtlety. So you might want to damp that, or you might just want to go, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Problem with damping is, of course, it, it might mean that you put your foot down and it actually it's interpenetrating the landscape. So there's that annoying trade-off. The other cute thing is that it's not very fussy about, I mean, I, I've moved the, the height so that it follows the landscape, but you could move the X, XZ as well. I mean, there's, there's according to the strafe and stuff, but you could do it in other ways. So you see that they're about to step on like someone's head, which is kind of unfriendly, so you just move it to the side. And that's fine. So little adjustments, or they're about to step on, actually step on like a Coke can or something. And you go, well, no, in real life, you just, you'd like just move your foot slightly to avoid it. So maybe we can get a bit more realism this way, to just avoid small things. Um, probably the biggest one is, is if you've got someone sidling along a wall. So they're, right, they're very close to the wall, and the game design says, hey, they've really got to be able to get their shoulder on the wall. But the, you know, he's a sort of big beefy bloke, and he, or maybe a cowboy or something, so he's got this big wide stride. So when he's up against the wall, the right foot actually goes into, into the wall, or it just, just looks wrong. So now maybe the collision system can go, hey, that, that foot's actually inside the wall. Can we just shove it sideways a bit? Or, for, you know, or if it's a cliff, you don't want it hanging off the edge of the cliff. Um, so you can tweak it uh, in little ways like that. I put down dancing as a rather optimistic, uh, optimistic one. Dance, Granny, dance. So the footstep uh, position only describes one instant of time in the entire cycle. It's the instant when the foot went down. Uh, the, uh, as mentioned yesterday, there's actually two constraints on most feet, which is when the heel strikes and when the ball of the foot strikes. And those are regarded as two separate constraints. The good thing for walking is you can mostly do everything as a delta off, like some nominal position. Um, you simply say, well, as long as I nail the heel, then the ball of the toe is going to be pretty good because I'm not doing any sort of huge changes like, like sort of that or the martial arts moves that they were doing where you do an awful lot of rotating on the ball of the foot. Um, so it's slightly simplified, but it, it's an awful lot better than most, uh, most games are doing right now. So that's fine. So the IK needs to be applied to the feet at all times rather than just when it's down, because otherwise it's going to pop on and off and you're going to you know, be seeking there and just blam as soon as it goes down. So there's three distinct phases to this IK. Uh, same end logic, same complex stuff. You just feed different stuff to it. So all three phases have the desired position and orientation of the footprint, which is usually this, this predicted position. Or the, or the previous footprint, um, they have a reference position and orientation, which is, if I did nothing, if I just played the animation a straight line, where would the foot hit? So it's just a straight line thing. Where's it going to go according to the animation? And then there's this desire factor of how much I want to play with the foot. So when the foot's down, that's the easy case. When the foot's on the ground, you say, well, that footprint, I've got the actual position, uh, it wants to be there. So the, the reference is the animation start uh, stance when you just planted the foot. And then the desired position is the, the actual place it got to, despite where you've moved in the, in, the, uh, in the meantime. So that's pretty simple. The nice thing about this is that um, 
these two are talked about at the same time. Right? These are both that when the foot goes down. Now the fact that you're like mid-stride, as you'll see, that doesn't matter. Um, even if the animation puts some foot slip in, it still works. So that's when the foot's down. Uh, we're just taking it off the ground. The foot is in the first half of the swing forwards. Uh, exactly the same two inputs. It's the last foot plant for both the reference and desired. And the desire simply starts at one as the foot comes off and then fades to zero at mid-swing. So at zero, we're doing no IK at all. So when you're, when you're in this pose, this foot is completely unconstrained by IK. There's no, it's, it's now in the animation neutral pose. And then as we go through the second half of the swing, we start using the forward predicted footstep. We look forwards in the animation to see where that would strike normally. And then the desire uh, starts from zero again and fades up to one so that at the point of impact, we should actually hit the, um, the predicted footstep. These desire curves, just piecewise linear, um, kind of simple, actually work. I was expecting to have to like smooth step them or get the artist to author these or something, uh, but they actually work fine. So why overcomplicate it? But you could obviously do that. Um, one thing about doing them in an art package, how do they preview them? It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. So the way you actually do the foot IK is you've got this reference position, you've got this desired position. You find the delta from one to the other, just the transform, the, you know, the linear offset and the rotation. Um, you scale by the desire factor, and then you just apply this delta to the ankle bone. So again, this delta, that's the delta as the foot hits. Wherever you are in the cycle, that's what we're talking about. As the foot hits, it's that delta. Now, if you're in mid-cycle, then that's why the desire factor kicks in. So here I'm unconstrained, and as I go forwards, the desire factor increases, and I seek towards the right delta. And again, during while the foot is on the ground, if the animation says, hey, I want to I slip the foot, well, that's fine. You say, okay, uh, I don't actually care where you want to put it. I just know it's got to be like two centimeters to the right of where you think it should be. But what you're doing with this slip motion, that's fine. You just got to be two centimeters to the right and you know one up because it's higher than you think. So actually applying the position delta to the ankle is easy. Um, you move the, this is a standard you know, two bone IK solver. Um, knee pop control was mentioned. This is, I don't know, if you've ever done any IK on, on legs, it's really obvious. You, as you swing forwards, this knee goes bam. And it's really bizarre, locks out. And then as it comes up, it just sort of goes, it's very strange. Um, and it's because as, the, as you move the ankle further and further away, as you get here to the near extent, a tiny movement in the ankle requires a large movement in the knee. So although the ankle is moving at a linear speed, the knee sort of accelerates and slams against the stop of the of the leg, which as humans we never do. We, you know, you don't want to stress the knee that much. So what we actually do is damp that um, and just say, hey, the knee's not going to get, the foot is not going to get there in the right way. Now, um, the guys last night, what they did was actually just, they damped the motion of the knee from frame to frame, and then they actually just lengthened the bones slightly to make sure the ankle went in the right direct position. I did a 
a much simpler version, but um, it's all kind of the position deltas we're talking about are very small. In fact, that's the problem. So a larger it would be easier. So all I did was I said uh, in the IK solver, I said, well, beyond like an angle of 170 degrees, just whatever angle you wanted, uh, whatever deviation you wanted from 180, just I think I divided it by four. Um, and did a scale, so it's continuous. But, but what it means is that the angle doesn't actually get to where you want it. Um, but it's, it's a pretty small, small error. Uh, you know, as you can appreciate, the difference between 170 degrees and 180 degrees is a very small movement, so that's your maximum error. And it just slows the knee down into that, to that crucial going straight phase. Um, works very nicely. So you can see she's... There's no knee pop even if you sort of slow it down. It's, it's when she swings the foot forwards there is when you get the knee pop. So. That seems to do the trick. It's kind of cheesy. The nice thing about it, there's no like smoothing or annoying frame-to-frame -frame coherency, which in general you want to avoid this as much as possible. Obviously I have to have some for this uh, footprint prediction, but, but I, I do as little as possible. Oh, and um, so that's just the position applied to the ankle, and then the actual orientation, the twist, is just applied to the, the, the main foot bone. Uh, so this was also mentioned, the hip height. Uh, if, if you've IK'd a foot down, say you're stepping down onto something, well, so this, this foot needs to go further down, but it can't. I haven't got a longer leg. So you can easily make legs shorter. You can't make them longer. So what you need to do is you find the, uh, in practice, you could do it in 3D and stuff like that. You'd need to do that for a martial arts move. Um, for walking, you can just do it all based on height. And it's not strictly correct because at a large angle, there's, there's, like, it's not quite right. Um, you don't see that. The, the effect is timing. So you just say, well, you look at the lowest foot of the two. And then you say, well, that foot is two centimeters lower than my reference pose, so I need to move the hips down by two centimeters as well. Now, that moves the other foot down, but it's okay, it's IK'd, it'll IK back up again, um, so that's fine. Now, this does break one rule, which is, as I said, the game controls where the character is. Well, now I've said, hey, but the animation system wants to move you up and down. Okay, so that's a fight. Um, put the animation coder and the uh, game gameplay guy in a room and whoever comes out uh, alive. It's, it's, it's a trade-off that needs to be made. In many games, uh, the actual vertical height of the character is not important. Uh, in some shooters, it will be. So that's just it's one of those reality gameplay trade-offs you need to make. Uh, oh. So always at least as low as the lowest foot. Uh, this does cause bumpiness during foot swings. So if I'm stepping up to something, then obviously my right foot is the lower one. As soon as I step up, it's going to swing forwards and it's going to be higher. So very quickly my hips are suddenly going to go boing. And then as I step, and if I, the next one is down, so like I'm just stepping over a temporary obstacle or something. So I step up and then down. The problem is, Normally, the motion would be fluid throughout the cycle. You'd step up and then down. Problem is, this transition, 
this foot almost immediately goes higher, and then this is the lowest foot for like 80% of the stride, and then it almost immediately goes lower. So instead of a nice curve like that, it goes whoop, bam. Looks weird. So instead of the actual foot height, I use the virtual foot height, which is just very simply, it's the linear interpolation between the previous footprint and the next footprint. I have all this data, I just lurk between that. So if you temporarily step up onto something and down again, it acts as though that foot just moved in a straight line. It didn't go up or down at all. But this also looks wrong, because that means when you're stepping over an obstacle, your hips don't move at all. The, this foot, the previous and last positions, same height. I do a lerp, same height. It's always the last one. So that looks goofy as well. So I did this blend to the, the other foot. So you do at least get a blend up and a blend down. That looks much better. Um, again, these are very hand-wavy uh, explanations. There's no hard math behind this. It just looks better. Uh, sometimes this is animation coding. Uh, this one I think I actually did do a smooth step function on so that it was continuous rather than piecewise linear because you can see that nasty, the, the change in, the abrupt change in the speed. Um, smooth steps just like you apply this cubic thing. Uh, so if you notice the skirt, I'll turn the footprints off. So this uh, fetching skirt that she's wearing, and in fact these shoulder straps here, uh, they don't move near, nearly as much. So the skirt's kind of cool, and it looks like a cloth sim, and it's not. Um, or at least it sort of is. So it's not a runtime cloth sim. Um, you're doing 30 of these, that seems too expensive, especially if you've got all the collision stuff to do, and uh, it's just a pain. Um, what we wanted to do is say, look, you can have any sort of animation you want. So as well as just being a cloth sim, it could be uh, any hand-authored or very complex system uh, that, that you want to do. Um, certainly for like a t-shirt, you can have uh, all the crinkles around here. And, and even just things like when, when my arm is up, the t-shirt sort of hangs down. When my arm is down, it sort of hangs the other way. Not hangs, but... So anyway, this, this is just purely, the animator says, hey, I've got this cool thing, and it's not representable in bones because there'd be bazillions of them. Um, so I want to record it as vertex animation. Okay, says I. Little knowing. So we record it as a vertex animation, just each frame you just capture the vertex positions. And then for each vertex, it's position through space, I just encode that as a spline curve um, because store the raw keyframes, that's huge. The spline curves aren't that much smaller. Sorry, I mean, they're a lot smaller. They're still kind of big. But we shall see a way to do that. So one of the problems is that this cloth sim, which was just the Maya standard one, which isn't that great, but, um, but it doesn't loop uh, properly, which is the problem. It'll, it'll forward predict you know, all day, and it'll do kind of, this, kind of the same thing, but it's not a perfect loop. So. Each animation was actually 12 cycles, or this was kind of tweakable. 10 seemed to be about good, and then the next two. So from a standing start, the skirt's just sitting down there. You start walking, the skirt kind of does random stuff, because you just applied energy into the system. And it takes it, so she just keeps walking for about 10 cycles, and finally the, the skirt sort of 
calms down to this proper swish motion, regular swish uh, motion without any weird movements or anything like that. So that's a settle down phase. And then the next two cycles, you kind of hope are the right thing. Um, in practice, some of them, like especially the run animation, which is very energetic. Every now and again, a couple of the straps are sort of go ballistic and you know stretch off to infinity and come back again or something. So we'd like edit this of which two cycles you picked, but you picked one uh, two cycles anyway. So to do this loop. This is a standard trick from audio processing. This is cross-disciplinary stuff. Very useful. So you just copy it and offset. So these these are the the original source data. I've just offset one. And then I crossfade this so that you get most of this bit and most of this bit. And because we get most of this bit here, and this bit's the same as this bit, well, obviously that transition works because that was just part of the animation. So this now loops seamlessly. So that's a, that's a neat trick. As I said, they're kind of big. Uh, every vertex has a spine curve associated with it. Gets kind of heavyweight. So I only did it for the six major animations, which was the three walks and the three runs. No leans, no accelerations, none of that. Um, you could do them for the other ones, but you know what? The effect on the actual skirt, just kind of doing this noisy random thing, you don't notice that it's not leaning the extra you know, three degrees over or something. Um, and, and it would literally double the memory, uh, you know, six atoms to 12. <coughs> So but there's this problem. Um, blending vertex animation doesn't work. Uh, bones uh, slurp and preserve lengths. When you move your leg in a circle, it actually you know, preserves the length. The knee moves in a circle. If I encoded that as vertex animations and had a pose here and a pose here and did a lerp, my knee would shrink. But there's nothing else you can do with vertex animations. All you have is a bunch of positions. You have no, well, I mean, you could get connectivity information, but it's it's not very, it's like there's a lot of it. It's just a polygon soup. And besides, this is cloth. This is deforming in weird ways. Good luck with that. Um, that's what a cloth sim does. So this wouldn't probably be a problem. I mean, you, you know, if you played back just the skirt, it'd be fine. Because, you know, it's doing something noisy. The problem is where they meet, which is around the hips, they need to actually meet. So what you could do is you could have the actual vertices where they meet boned normally. The next vertex down on these highly tessellated strips of cloth could be vertex animation. So that top segment would stretch like crazy in places. And the difference is quite big. It's, it's on the order of 10 centimeters, uh, the difference between the slurp and the lerp. So you'd see this. And the skirt would obviously look kind of disconnected. It's, it's really weird. And there's this other problem. When you IK the legs, so when I lift my leg from the IK, so the original animation's down here, the skirts are lying along it. I IK the foot up, oh, the skirt just goes straight through my leg. It's bizarre. So we don't do object space vertex animations. You get the artist to skin the skirt, just like it was like a tight mini skirt or something. So there's bone weightings on the hips, there's bone weightings on each thigh for the relevant bits. And then he just turns the, you know, there's, t there's a blend shape in Maya and there's a, a cloth sim. And so you just turn the influence of one of them just down to nothing. So it doesn't actually change the animation. Uh, it's just so that this post-process can use this data. So now for each of the vertices, for each of the poses, as a pre-process, I transform it back into the default pose. 
because I know how to get from default pose to animation. That's what I do every, every frame at runtime. So I, I just invert that matrix, move the vertex back into the default pose. So now I've got the swishing skirt, but she's in the standard Da Vinci pose or whatever, and it's swishing around there. So this actually makes sense now. We, we can, you can, you're lurping these things in the same space, and she's just like standing there with this skirt swishing magically. But that makes sense. And better yet, um, if, if you have two bits of two vertices, they're out here. When you do that swish, it won't interpenetrate the legs because all the preceding ones. Now, you, you can actually get slight interpenetration as like a clot. In one frame, it's around here, and in one frame, it's around there, and it goes through the leg, but that's kind of rare, so that's fine. So it's just the effect of being cloth uh, that is preserved. The gross movement of, oh, this lot sort of moves generally forwards with the leg, and the up and down motion as, as she jogs, that's all removed. That's the big effects, and that, that is preserved in the bones. So the runtime's really simple. You replay the vertex animations into your vertex buffer. You throw it at the uh, vertex shader, and you bone it as well. So you do all standing, standard boning stuff, but your position has actually come from an animation rather than just being static. But again, yeah, lerps make sense here. All the animations, even when I'm blending you know, between a run and a walk, the vertex animations are both recorded in this default pose. So again, the lips make sense, even though they're in world space. So that's kind of cool. And the IK just works. Um, when the knee comes up, that bit of the skirt comes up. Now, it's still not obviously technically correct, because it should be sort of splitting and hanging due to gravity. But it, it doesn't interpenetrate. It doesn't look goofy. Um, that's fine. Oh, as a nice side effect, the vertex animation is simpler. If you've got a vertex that just kind of moves with the leg, that motion gets completely removed. Curve's nice and flat. We use fewer uh, knots for the, for the curve. So it does actually come out with m less memory. This is a cute trick. Uh, you can use it for a lot of fine vertex stuff. Um, facial expressions, I think, uh, would be cool. Um, it means you can get the, the, the jaw movement as a bone, so you can you know, lip sync with that. But then the actual expressions on the face can be vertex done, uh, rather than having to encode them as bones, which typically gets bigger than the vertex animation, which is kind of annoying. Um, depending on the tessellation of your hands as well, it can be uh, cheaper to store them as vertex animations rather than every single little bone in the, in the uh, there's like sort of A20 or something like that. If you have not particularly well tessellated hands, then you just go, well, I'll just store the position of Celsius, that's fine. And obviously cloth of all sorts, uh, anything physically simulated that you don't want to do at runtime. Um, and this is kind of good because you've still got the gross movement in the bones. That all happens if you have an animation, if you have vertex animation missing from one of the animations, fine, you just take it from the others and it'll look kind of swishy, it'll look kind of clothy, it'll be fine. You'll still get the, the effect of the second animation uh, applied, you just won't get like fully perfect vertex stuff. So this demo is still uh, kind of a work in progress. Things I want to add very quickly. Um, more emotions. Uh, that was uh, a good one uh, talked about very briefly yesterday. And that 
in that it's not enough these days to just have a walk and you go, hey look, the feet are stuck brilliantly. Okay, but I don't care about this character. Let's have some emotion. So, um, so we've got like a you know, granny who's really you know, poised and ready to kill you before she's like, whoa, whoa, it's a big dragon. So stuff like that. Um, and lurping between those. Uh, obviously, uh, this demo didn't have any standing, and if you slow her down, she just sort of stops. It's right. Um, so I want to do some standing stuff. Which prompts a problem. I'm standing there, and the user taps forwards. So I go, okay. Um, well, I better start walking. And then, and then you go, oh, user's not pressing forwards. Oh, they just wanted to like hop forwards. Now, if you're in a sword animation like that, a hop forwards you lead with the left. A walk forwards, you start with the right. So there's this problem of like, well, I know the user has just started pressing forwards. Which is it? So I don't really know how to solve that. <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting thing. My, my current best thought is that you hack it and you, you start the step. And if at this stage uh, the user hasn't taken their finger off, you go, OK, it's a walk. And you do this. So it's a slightly odd start to a walk because it's like this. But hey, at least it's smooth. And uh, there's not like some, some sort of, yeah, and then you just sort of magically swap legs or something crazy like that. Um, uh, standing pose transitions. No one does these, right? So I'm standing around like this. Sorry. I'm standing around sort of on one foot. And then I do something like, I want to kick with this foot. So what you need to do is transition and then kick. So that's so what you, the artist really wants to do is give you a couple of poses like that one or uh, an even one or that one or you know your fighting ready stance or something like that. And then you need to be able to do transitions, but the feet will always be planted differently. So you need to move at least one foot. And if you're taking this strict thing that the game controls the center of mass, then you can't move that just because the animation says, hey, you know, I'd like to, like to move one of the feet. So what you need to do is move one foot and then the other. And it's like this, it's an automatic adjustment that humans very easily make. But it's, it's, it seems to be difficult to do that automatically. So uh, I'm hoping that some sort of weight distribution means that I can choose sensibly which foot to move or which foot to move first at least. Uh, turning on the spot is the pathological example of this. I'm standing here, and I want to be standing here. So you've got to do this weird foot shuffling thing. And which one do you move first, and how much, and stuff like that. Um, the, the attacks. Um, I keyed attacks to precisely strike the target. I was going to kind of fudge this, um, but the animation by example stuff, well, that's how you do it properly. So, um, so I just changed my mind on that. So uh, yeah, I might be implementing some of that. Um, and, and the big thing is, if with these sword uh, things, I don't know if you've noticed, the only attack you can do is a big slash. And that's because, well, they're never quite sure where the bad guy is. So as long as we do like a big slash like that, he can be anywhere in there, you'll hit him. There's never like a stab. Because if you stab, and he's just slightly to the left, you missed. A little red number appears above the head. Hey, but I missed. What? So if you can if you can do like the, the various stabs, you know, and then do this this blending, smart blending, so you precisely hit them, you know, for a critical attack, you actually hit them straight on the voice box, they fall down dead, and you go yes, 
rather than going, well, you didn't actually hit him, but hey, I'll take the loot anyway. It's not like the, yeah. Um, so uh, that, 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 that should be kind of cool. Um, getting decapitations actually on the neck. Um, hits taken are tricky because it's like, well, they could hit you anywhere. So that's going to have to be some sort of physics ragdoll, and I might kind of just ignore that because <coughs> I, I don't feel like playing the physics engine for a demo. But uh, that, that's how I think you'd do that with, um, in a game. Uh, looking around, you know, she's just fixedly ahead. You, you want uh, you know, her to be looking around at random objects, literally random objects. Um, uh, a sort of um, sort of uh, god sim we did called Startopia. We just someone just hacked in one day as the characters were wandering around. We had this movable head, which was intended so that when you talk to them, they'd actually look at you, which is kind of nice. But someone just hacked in one day that as they're walking around, they pick a random object within a certain range and they look at it until it go until their neck just can't move anymore, and then they pick another object. Wow, these things were alive. As they're walking around, they just go, oh, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Um, and one of the, one of, it's just like, wow, look, he's a real person. He's looking around, he's looking at stuff. Incredible. And uh, one amusing thing was uh, the, the users actually interpreted this in some cases as like a slight obsession. So it happens that two characters want the same thing. They both want some food, and there's only one food thing in the entire universe, because you've forgotten to put down more. So they're both going on a long journey over there. So they're both walking. Now as he's going around looking at this stuff, one day, one of the objects he'll pick is the other person. They're both walking the same thing. The neck never gets over-torsioned. They will stare at this person forever. This is like this horrible stalker type thing. So people love that. They'd say, yeah, I got this really evil guy, and he was just like following this other guy and just staring at him. So uh, it's just like a whatever. Okay. We don't have a stat for like obsessiveness. Um, so stuff like that uh, just, just improves it. This would be with the standard like nine head poses, and you do your lerp, um, and then you just bone mask it onto the sort of the V of the shoulders and the neck muscles and stuff to look around. Um, upper and lower body anims. At the moment, I just have the whole anim on the thing, uh, just to do moves and attacks at the same time. Pretty standard stuff. Each attack has a, a mask per bone to say how much this attack needs that bone. So if it's if it's just like a simple parry, my left arm basically isn't involved. It can do whatever walking stuff it needs. Um, if it's a big swing, it's it's you know you almost take over the control of the hips, uh, and the foot IK just has to like try and cope. Um, and the jumping, uh, which I hate. I mean, trying to get jumps looking good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'll find out. Um, noise, uh, there's a whole bunch of noises. Um, this is quite interesting. If you just add position noise, you get this sort of doddery thing. <laughs> it looks very odd. And you can tone it down, but you just get slightly less doddery until you get no noise at all. So you never get like, oh, it's kind of, they're a real person kind of doing the right thing. You just, like, they're either old or not. Um, it's not very good. They're either old or a robot, which is yeah, not good. So um, for cyclical motions, you can change the phases of 
the motions in each bone. So the nice thing about that is your foot always still gets there. It's not like some randomly jittery thing. It's just each time you swing it forwards, well, maybe the knee comes in a bit earlier this time, or maybe it comes in late, or maybe the foot sort of does something slightly strange uh, because it's, it's out of phase with the stuff. So it's still a cyclical motion. It's just kind of, it's just sort of like slight discoordination in the movements. Um, so th that looks a bit better. It doesn't work for standing still, though, because there's no, no phase. So. And, and whenever you add noise, you'll need IK fix-ups even if the native animation works fine. So, uh, uh, quick summary. Walk cycle's really important. Um, we've kind of got the stationary pose stuff pretty good. They're not too bad. Walk cycle's still terrible. Um, terrible marks all around, apart from, like, two examples, uh, which are actually quite impressive. Uh, we need some more people in the middle, please. It's like, wow, I can't break this at all. And yeah, well, you're just changing your feet all over the place. The most benefit, number number one, is sticking the feet down. That is the most obvious thing. When people see the feet suddenly you know, changing, it's just like, there goes your suspension of disbelief. Uh, you fix that, that's fine. Uh, that's, that's easily the best one. Good transitions uh, are nice. So again, just stop the rest of the body popping, uh, strangely, when you, when you change uh, stuff. And then uh, the correct prediction of foot plants and stuff copes with rough terrain and so on. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of the icing on the cake, but it really does make it look good. Uh, again, oh, the difference between sticking the feet down and the correct prediction is you might not actually be sticking them to the real terrain. You might be just like sticking them somewhere arbitrary. But that's still better than not sticking them, even if it's the wrong position. So again, I'll just say this again. The golden rule, the AI does not control the character. The AI must cope with whatever character movement it's given. Um, thank you. Questions? Yes. Um, have you thought about uh, doing foot path with protection? Because like, when you're walking up the stairs, you're getting just as bad artifacting yes. path. Yes. So the problem here is that uh, she only ever looks where her footprints are at, at the actual footprint. Um, find the key. There we go. So the only, the only, the only place I'm sampling the, the height field at is these footprints. Um, so the lerp in between means that, oh, there we go. She, uh, she moves the foot through the, should probably do it again there. Yes. Um, so yes, yes, you could do. The problem with that is, so what do I do about it? I know my path's going to intersect. Do I just keep moving, like moving up the midpoint? Because I can't move the endpoints. They've got to actually hit. So the only thing I can really move is like the midpoint or the first quarter or the mid-quarter and like draw a spline through it. Do I just keep moving them up until until it doesn't hit or something? Uh, it, seems like it seems like you want you want the path. You have some spline you have some spline that is the end effector path. Right. It's not it's not necessarily one of your joint splines, but it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's some nonlinear function of whatever's happening. Right, right. And you want to perturb that until it doesn't collision with that collide with the ground anymore. Oh, sure. And that, the ground height detection, for us at least, is major. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
it's yes. a huge artifact when you're walking upstairs. Right. So, so I would do, in practice, I'd do two things. Number one, I'd manually do stairs, right? Just like, hey, it's stairs. Let's play the walking upstairs animation. And it's really easy for the animator to just make sure the foot moves vertically and then horizontally. Magic in the problem. Um, and second, I wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't do this. <laughs> Crazy gaps like that. Um, you still, still do get them in real life. Uh, uh, curbs, sidewalk curbs. Um, that's probably the, the major thing. Um, again, uh, I don't know how to solve that. It's, it's very, very tricky. Um, hey, you know, in real life, I, I don't solve it terribly well. I fall over a lot, but <laughs> certainly, you know, it's something that it takes us like uh, takes kids like ten years to learn. Is not how, how to not fall over uh, steep steps. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky problem. Uh, kind of related to the same thing. Um, it seems like you're turning on the IK for the foot down events and blending it off, right? So that the IK is not anticipating the foot up. You're not raising the knee in advance. You know, if the, if the next foot step is going to be higher, you're still just kind of turning on the IK to compensate for that as the foot is coming down. You're not anticipating that high change. In yeah, so the, the problem is that if my next step is, is a high one, what I should be doing is lifting the knee at this point. I should lift it here and then step up. Um, that That's all to do with the... Um, the three phases of this foot IK and the fact that it only changes from the previous one to the next one in the midpoint. Now, instead of having these two distinct phases with one blend between the, the, like, the animation neutral one and either one, you'd probably have a three-way blend in some way. Um, and you'd need some heuristics to say, well, was I stepping down from something? Is that the most important part of this animation? So I'm stepping down to something level or I'm stepping from something level upwards and, and then you've got the weird case of like, well, I'm, I'm stepping up for this step, but no. So, um, yeah, I, I think you probably just change the, the blend curves for that. Um, but I, I haven't played with that yet. That is something I'd like to get right, because the step ups and downs still don't look great for large step ups and downs. Uh, let's go over I had a question while we are transitioning to I noticed well, when you were doing the IK prediction for the foot placement, and I don't know if it was during just your debug stress test, but you'd get some feet crossing through the other legs, and I know my animators would scream and say, that wasn't in the original motion, why am I seeing that? You know. Uh, I think the only so time did that, you look to avoid that at all? I think the only time that happens is when you strafe. So there. Um, and that's basically because this is not a real animation. This is just the walk forwards animation that I'm just moving the body sideways. So you can definitely uh, instead play the strafe animation that instead of just going like smacking one knee through the other would like move the foot round um, if they wanted. But again, that's, that's like, I mean, it's easy to blend in. I know how much I'm strafing. I can just blend in. It's like turns and everything like that. But hey guys, it's another however many animations to do. So that's your choice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just curious, what are the two good examples of walking you've seen? So one of them was this game. Um, I think it was Half-Life 2 or something. That was quite impressive. Um, we've been swapping tails of trying to break that by, you know, 
there's a cut scene and you know he's going to do something and you rush in and you put crates in the way and see how he responds. And they always do the right thing. I mean, they don't do the, like, the high-level smart thing, which is just to go... <sighs> yeah. But they, like, they either clamber up on the crates and then still correctly pick the object up. Or, or they nav around them. and it's, like, it's impressively hard to break the animation system. I mean, yeah, they still look goofy doing it, but they look, they look like a goofy human rather than just like a completely broken uh, computer animation stuff. So, so there's good stuff there. Uh, I was quite impressed. Um, so about your golden rule that uh, the animation should not be driving the object, uh, the, the game object. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you author your animations uh, to avoid foot slide in, I mean, when, in the case when you're not doing IK? Do you make it so, do you assume that they're going to be moving at a constant speed and you adjust your feet that way? Well, I, I, I do what, um, so first the designer and the animator agree on a speed. And then the animator does an animation that kind of gets that speed. But it doesn't have to be spot on. Um, and then when you load the animation, you actually measure. Okay, so I know it's one cycle long because otherwise I'm going to get out my, my stick. Um, so I know it's a cycle long, and I know how far it moved. So um, because you've got the, the motion of the root bone extracted, and it says, hey, this is how I'm moving. Uh, you need this for complex animations anyway. So for a walk, it's just kind of dull, but you just measure the position between the start and end points. And you just go, OK, now I know how fast it moves. So I'm just saying, hey, if the character's walking, Mr. Game, this is kind of how fast it's moving. Is that OK with you? The game probably says, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Or it like throws up an assert saying, dude, this guy walks really fast. It'll just break the game. What about for a cycle of an animation that moves very regularly, like a limp? Thing that you know, for most of the cycle, you're not advancing, and then you move forward a bunch. Well, any any cyclic thing is fine because I just measure the start and end. Okay. Um, and for those, uh, Granny, the um, the animation package we have is uh, has a variety of ways of extracting this motion, um, and one of them is is this uh, thing where the root bone is linearized, so it assumes it just moves linear. And then the difference between that and the real motion is encoded actually just into the animation. So, um, so if the game just moves the, the object forward at a steady pace, that's fine. And then the object might offset itself a bit because of the limp. So, uh, so all the delta is in the information is in the animation. As far as the game's concerned, hey, this guy's just moving straight forwards. In some cases, that's not a good idea because his collision volume is moving steadily. Or is it is, um, the real one isn't, and in that case, the game then goes, okay, so it's, a, it's really like a mantling thing or getting into a car or something complex like that where you still want the bounding volume to be right so you can like shoot him in the head or whatever. Um, but the game really doesn't want to have to go, okay, so time is less than blah, so it's this position, and then we do this position. It's just like, animation system, you tell me where it is. And that's fine, I now cede control of it to you because usually when you're doing those, uh, the player has also given up their control, right? They said, get into the car. They don't expect to be able to do anything during that period. So, so that's fine. So the game and the player implicitly give up control. So, same with things like mantling and commando roles and stuff like that. It's complex animation. That's when you hand it over to the animation system. Step up forward to a higher surface. 
I, I haven't looked at uh, going backwards or even standing still yet. So, uh, yeah. Yes, uh, agreed. Um, that the the step up and down for the extreme cases like stairs and so on, I would just have an animation. Um, that was a perfect segue into my question, uh, which was uh, some of the animation stuff last night and you a bunch of times today have basically mentioned like, oh, well, if you want a better effect there, just have the animators do more animation for that specific effect mm. or mo movement, which is totally valid, uh, you know, data-driven way of approaching it, but that fill-in process is going to replace code. Like, you've got special hacked, I mean, not hacked, I mean, you've got special code to deal with no strafe walk, so I'll turn a, a walk into a strafe by doing some IK. Mm -hmm. um, uh, have you given any thought to like how to data drive the process of fill in and put all of the fill in in the hands of the animators, like to know when that's there to turn that code off or that kind of thing? Like, how do you instead of going like, oh, okay, the animators have decided that the the walk strafe looks horrible, so we're gonna have we're gonna fill all that in. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay, I got to go comment on a bunch of code so, now. So the the way um, the way I do uh, fill ins and stuff like that, like like the walk to run transition. If they say, oh, that looks horrible, look, let me just do one. So all the sort of the steady states, like walk and run and so on, have standardized names. And then you want to do a transition from walk to run. You actually look for an animation called walk to run. You just do the string concatenation. And if it's there, that's cool. I'll use that and just transition into that. If it doesn't exist for this character, OK, I'll do my code thing. Um, and so for the strafe, it'll be the same thing. You look for an animation called strafe. Not that, okay, well, I'll just move the hips. Because I'm going to move the hips anyway, right? Again, game's in control. It wants to move the hips. Okay. So the animation says, okay, can move the hips. Have I got a strafe animation? Okay, well, I'll just IK the feet and uh, do the prediction and hope it works out. If it looks rubbish, well, the animators need to do a thing. But if the animation was there, cool, I'll play it. Now, I still need to do this prediction and IK. But the nice thing is, if you're also playing this animation, well, the prediction's going to be pretty accurate, right? I mean, otherwise the animation's if your rubbish. Code model matches the straight path Sorry? If your, your code model for the walk straight path, for, for it to actually be a close match, or like the code model you have of what a straight looks like has to match what the animator does with a straight actually using the IK target from the performer. Ab absolutely. But the thing there is, it's the same with the walk speeds. Um, the game's idea of how fast a character walks has to match, you know, roughly the animator's idea of how fast the character walks. Otherwise, it's going to look rubbish. I mean, it's just going to look rubbish. And it doesn't matter how good your animation system is, you've got this mismatch. So, so, but at all times, so what I'm saying is that there's got to be this connect between design and animation, fundamentally. The animation system, the, the actual code, doesn't care. It will just cope. Now, if it's fed junk, well, hey, it's going to get junk. But if, if the two match, um, so yes, you're right that these two have to match up, but they don't have to match up in code. They have to match up in like design and you know the parameters that are put in to how the model moves. So yeah, if, if the user says, so if the game says, hey, we want to strafe at you know, a meter a second, and the animation only strafes at half a meter a second, the well, animation code doesn't care. It's still going to do the foot fix up, but yeah, it's just going to look rubbish. Um, but there's not a lot you can do about that in code, and nothing, none of that is hard-coded. It's all just like, this is the game design, this is the animation. They've got to agree somehow. So you do it, you don't know in advance whether there's a straight animation because you need to mark what's that that way. 
where it's dipped. You don't oh. just like you don't forget a bunch of footsteps and then look for the straight animation, right? No, that's correct. You prefetch that. Yes. So the um, ba, ba, ba. so oh come on, do the slideshow thing. Where are we? Uh, this foot. Okay. So where I have this, I have this desired position, which is obviously the the prediction, and the actual orientation. So the actual orientation is. So I actually go forwards, and whatever animations are currently playing, uh, I sample them at that future time. So if there's no strafe, the foot will just go straight forwards. If there's a strafe animation playing, the foot will actually go out to the side. Either way, I also forward predict and I say, well, the foot actually needs to be over there. Now, if the two match, hey, that's cool. I have to do hardly any work with the IK. If they match completely differently, which is what happens here when she strafes, because it really is quite different, um, then it just goes, okay, I'll do my best. But yeah, if there's an animation there, it'll just go, it'll play it. Um, and then this code all just doesn't care because it just goes, hey, what's currently playing? Okay, we'll look ahead and see where the foot would naturally fall. So if they agree, that's cool. And the IK doesn't have to do much work at all. So uh, I'm, I have a, a very similar kind of question that was actually inspired by a conversation with I had last night, which is sort of at a more philosophical level. Um, there's a decision definitely as to whether you're going to use data or some kind of a hack. <laughs> so you know, from, say, the kind of position that we were showing yesterday, walking up the stairs is a completely different kind of thing than walking on level ground. If you've watched you, a person do it, there's no way you'd ever say they're the same motion. Oh, you need to record both of them. I absolutely agree. So um, the extreme point in that philosophy, you would have lots and lots of motions. Mm -hmm. What you sort of have been showing here is Animation is so, so precious. I can get these nine loops. I'm never going to get any more. I've got to squeeze every last little bit out of them. Yep. So I, I, I guess I don't have a feel for that trade-off. Um, as, as Chris mentioned, some of the, the classic arguments of, well, data takes memory footprint. Well, big code takes memory footprint. Um, the other argument of, well, animators are expensive, and smart programmers to do this kind of stuff are expensive. So how do you see that trade-off playing out? Um, it, it, you're right that it varies a lot by project and company. Um, something like uh, Eco, uh, there's two characters. So, well, OK, there's the shadow guys as well. But there's two characters, and they've probably got a fleet of animators. Great, they can animate absolutely everything. Just, there's so much more. Uh, there's, there's more animator time than there are like animation time, um, vastly more. So you can do that all custom. Uh, but what seems to happen in games these days, and increasingly, uh, it's, it's not a good thing, but it's just kind of inevitable, is that every time you iterate a game, it's like, oh, this game's got 20 characters, so we need 30. And, and, and this game's got some like, really cool mantling animation, so we need that. It's like, so, so there's 50% more characters, and there's 50% more animation. Okay, I'm now bottlenecked on animation. My animators just can't do every combo. That's like, I need to squeeze out those resources. Uh, obviously, that needs to stop somewhere, but uh, yeah, there's, there's um, but the, the thing about 30 characters, it's the same code. So you do it once, and it works for one character or 30. 
So, um, so yeah, it's an absolute trade-off. Uh, but well, let me add that uh, on the console on console projects, like I'm working on, memory footprint is a huge issue. We have oh, yes. we have uh, 20 character types, each of them very different. You can't run a female walk on a male or a male walk on a female it looks silly. So we we have you know 4,000 animations. And to define the whole animation space for all those, I, we just don't have the memory. And we're even banking and streaming in <laughs> styles. Be token, you probably also don't have the memory to have 4,000 separate code pieces that are yeah, well, we don't. We have a general code blending system that can handle all of them with different parameters. But but yeah, I would, my my point is I agree that having the right example is is important, and, and we try to bank them up so you can stream them in. But the memory is huge, and it's a big. We end up dropping like we we had custom we had custom pistol rifle strafes, you know, uh, animations that were custom for that. We ended up having to dump those and say, oh, we only have a pistol strafe that we play on the lower body, and then we do a single frame pose for the gun, and we IK it for the t upper body because yeah, the memory was just That is the number one uh, request. Uh, I mean, Granny's, Granny runs on kind of everything, so the number one request from the console guys is, oh, can you use less memory? And it's like, oh, kind of, I mean... Yeah, but I'll start throwing stuff away that you actually want, um, and they spend they spend hours tweaking like the compression parameters to say no, 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 now it looks rubbish. So they just turn it down a bit, and yeah, okay, now it's fine. They spend hours tuning the memory. Memory is a big problem on consoles, even if you're doing the streaming and stuff like that. Streaming just like raises how high you can aim, kind of thing. It doesn't make it any any easier. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, sure, sure. Sorry. Are you sure that's not this one? I was thinking it was this one, too. I could be wrong Well, state your question and then turn it off. Well, uh, so on that philosophical topic, I think they're, they're like, there's a pretty key thing which is missing from that analysis, which is that, like, you don't just have... I have animations and I blend them together, or I have some code and like there's a proportional number of bits of code to the number of animations. What actually happens when a programmer sits down, or sometimes an animator, if they're making like a complicated rig or something like this, is they're actually like orthogonalizing the parts that make up the animation. So like I'm taking a thing like looking left and I'm using some like knowledge about how that works to make it so that I can generate looking left for any situation that may occur, right? And it may not be perfect, but it's going to do something reasonably good uh, no matter what the, the situation is. Now, with animation, the problem is everything is captured together. And if you're just going to do blending, there's no way to separate out what is the part of the motion that you cared about and what is not. So, I mean, really the thing is, yeah, if you could do something like, like say, the... Um, the synthesis by example stuff that you have, there has been work in the past which goes like, okay, you know what, we've got these examples and we're going to try and like extract out part X so that when we blend together, we don't need to have like the total like exponential explosion of getting all the corners of all the different boundary cases of this plus this and this happens at the same time as this, which would be prohibitive to store. Um, and we're just going to try and store like kind of these orthogonal things we can combine together to get to any one of those corners. And that's fine. But that stuff really hasn't matured yet to the same level 
level as, hey, we just have some snippets and we blend them, and we're always staying within some of the convex blend of these things or very close to it, so everything's okay. Um, so really, I mean, that's, that's like the missing piece. Like, yeah, we'd love to always use animation, but the truth is that when you actually get down to doing that, you kind of have this problem of no one really has the really solid component-based separation and recomposition thing that you need there. And we're getting closer, but it, you know, it's not there yet. Well, and, and the slightly odd thing is that frequently some of these animations that are generated, that, that we get from animators, they are actually completely procedural. They've, they've rigged up this incredible complex rig in Max or Maya so that, like, the, certainly the looks, um, when I was watching the animator do them, so he has a, an object, and he does the whole, like, head and neck and eye rig and stuff. So he can, move, he can just move this object around, and the, person, the character is looking exactly at the thing. Then he exports 27 animations, and I do the blending. And you go, wait a minute. There's this, you've got this rig. I mean, he's not adding any, like, well, he is adding artistic stuff, but it's in code, essentially. It's, 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 it's all procedural stuff. Then we sample it, and then I try and reconstruct the signal. That seems kind of crazy. Right, but that, well, it, we need a converter. The problem is the two systems are so totally different. I mean, the rigging systems used in Maya are just, just like real hodgepodge of whatever people happen to like. And you want to duplicate that in code? Hey, good luck. Uh, this was, I, I have another point about another section of it, but just to reply to that really quick, because this is part of what we were talking about last night was like the procedural synthesis version versus the sampling thing. But I mean, in the, in the long run, they are, he's able to accentuate that with style. Whereas Absolutely. the straight ahead code one to. can't. Right. So right. like you want to there, there's the style aspects of what we want to preserve, oh, especially you as our want as our, to be able to do that. Right. There's no doubt about right. that. Right. So you need to make sure. So but uh, what I was going to say I was going to kind of plug tomorrow's uh, although it's a, two, the next two day conference, but some of you are going to be here for tomorrow's got a bunch of postmortems and one of the ones that I helped uh, someone rehearse with Andrew Wilmot from The Sims Two was talking. This answers the earlier question about the or speaks to the earlier question about the trade off. Um, Basically, they were never in danger of missing art lock. Like, the animators and the artists and stuff were always ahead of code and design. And so when that, when that trade-off gets calculated, it's like actually just, it does scale to throw another 10 artists on the project, whereas it doesn't scale to throw another 10 pro programmers on the project. That is um, true, that, that adding more animators, you actually get more animation. Right. Um, that, you know, the mythical man month is for coders. Uh, it works a lot better for artists. And if you're a big company that can just throw animators at it, yep. Um, so it, yes, it totally depends on the project and the company. So yeah. Uh, yes. Yep, and I'm sure most animators, uh, animation coders and animators down the years have gone, 25 miles an hour? Are you crazy? Uh, but um, hey, it wasn't it like 40 miles an hour in one of the Quake games or something? It's just like... <laughs> really? Uh, 
Okay, so... Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, 90 miles an hour to naught. It's like, wow, I love those trainers. Can I get like buy lots of them and stick them on my car? So the, I guess the question is, is, given that goal, what you're trying to achieve, do you have any strategies or thoughts on how you reconcile that, that this, the game design decision with making it look good? Uh, the short answer is no, I have no, no ideas. Um, uh, if, if the game demands that the player run at these uh, huge speeds, yeah, you just got to like make the animation look kind of cool. And uh, yeah, uh, whether, whether any sort of IK or anything can do anything useful at all, or whether the IK is just going to permanently be out there and out there, and they're just going to look stupid. Yeah, uh, that, that is tricky. Yes? Have you uh, done any experimentation with uh, retargeting animation against a different character? Um, well, uh, Granny just kind of does that, so hey, yes. Absolutely, yeah. It's just a name matching. Um, so there's there's two ways. There's simply like, oh, uh, I'm a character. I've, I've got this walk cycle, and now I want to play it on this angel, and he's got a bunch of wings. So obviously, well, I've got this animation. It doesn't say anything about the wings, or vice versa. I have I actually animated the wings, but now I'm playing it on a human. So that that's just that's easy. Obviously, you just throw away bones. Different numbers of bones you have to do. Uh, you have to supply the original skeleton, the new skeleton, then there's a mapping. Now, it's pretty good. It's not as good as the retargeting you do in like animation packages because um, they solve all sorts of constraints and stuff. Um, but we're talking about this is basically a memory compression technique, right? Um, otherwise, you'd do it offline and just generate all the combos. Right, so so I don't try and solve that because uh, you know the art packages have some pretty heavyweight offline solvers to 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 do all that. Um, so if you want it perfect, you just you just bloat out and export all the combos. Um, but yeah, you can you know normally you can do some runtime stuff that's very cheap. Um, do you do some rescaling also because it, it's not enough? Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's not enough just to do the name matching because the feet would be no, no, no. So, so the name matching is only done for uh, like bits that are there or not. The actual, yeah, you do rescaling and stuff. So you can play adult animations on children and stuff. It still looks like a small adult walking, yeah. but that's better than like, oh, I've just doubled my animation budget because you put children in the game. Dead. Casey. Yes, Mr. Casey. Uh, with the retargeting thing, the, the deal is basically that if you don't have the rest of the stuff that Tom talked about in this slide going on, then it's usually like a complete disaster. Because if you're like talking oh. about someone who's even like you know a foot taller or something like this, then what happens is the feet will skate pretty badly because you know even though you're going to scale the the gross displacement of the guy as they you know walk forwards, you're still going to have these problems of like the actual knee bends and all that stuff are not going to line up properly. But if you are willing to do the IK again to like fix up the feet, that takes care of a fair amount of it. So usually what you end up with is just situations where 
other things where your system isn't doing IK fix up already to keep something planted during blending, like IE, oh, I was like bending down to pick up this box and it's say yay big, um, then you end up with these problems of like, well, his arms are longer so they actually close further into the, the object than I was thinking and so on. But again, like, you know, assuming that you can add those parts to your games because you want to pick up different size boxes or whatever, then you start to fix those automatically. So that's typically the way the retargeting works. I mean, I mean, there's there's always problems like if if I'm like a a man and I've got an animation where I do that. Um, if you now retarget me to a woman that's the same size, so she's got the same length arms, but her shoulders are just closer together. So instead of doing that, you know that it's just like, well, the joints and everything are doing the right thing, and the joints are the right length and stuff like that. But you just forward, and it's just like, what are you going to do? The woman's shoulders are narrower. And, but her arms are the same length, so it's gonna, yeah. So, so there's always problems like this. Um, but hey, for runtime, it, it's kind of fine. If you want to do this properly, you do it offline. Yeah. There was uh, some work of, a few years ago about retargeting physical simulation, like how you know what how things move differently when you've got longer bones or heavier or more mass and stuff like that. And I, mm -hmm. I assume the style-based guys are looking at like how you retarget and kind of add. You know, ma remap the style aspects of the things too. But I was interested, actually, a question for Jeff, because you were saying basically you can't reuse that many animations. Um, I assume mostly because of style-based things, like it's got to walk like a girl or a guy or whatever. So, like, what what kinds, what percentage of your animations can you retarget versus you just have to have new animations because the artists demand it? We end up because there's so many stylized. Everything's caricatured a little bit. There's a lot of stylized stuff. So the only things that get reused are really generic walks, idols, but but even idols become really explosive because you have the stylized uh, idols for females and different kinds of females and old ladies and things. So well, the, yeah, but, the, but that's the where the streaming comes in. You go, oh, I know I only have these in. I'm going to stream. I have my little generic bank that it plays until the stream is ready, and then we switch off. Yeah. Again. Practically none. Yeah. Some. Uh, luckily, we haven't had to deal with children. So... Dogs and cats, dragons. But yeah, dogs, dogs are going to be fun, aren't they? Because they're going to all different sort of sizes. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Any don't, other questions? Don't do a pet simulator. Oh, we got one here. I was just going to ask. There seems to be um, that your, the main method in which you blend influences on the, the final outcome, the final motion is is a linear blend. Yes. Um, the, the problem we were talking about uh, a little while ago with the, the stairs and so on and so forth, um, have you thought of using any kind of obstacle avoidance, fuzzy kind of obstacle avoidance, flocking type influences for nearby obstacles? Is that, is that something that could be built in or maybe done by a client programmer using well, the system? Well, first you've got to find the obstacles, right? So um, that's, in, that's usually pretty expensive in most games. But assuming you did that... Um, yeah, I'm not sure how you'd how you'd do that because all of a sudden you're actually pathfinding the foot round, uh, and it's a 3D uh, problem. I mean, the the vertical one is kind of constrained because you don't want to move it too too abruptly. But uh, that seems kind of tough considering we we're still having trouble getting guys to walk from one end of the room without you know walking through stuff. So yeah, I guess you could do. Uh, it it seems it seems it seems heavier weight than. Uh, than anyone needs at the moment. But uh, yeah, uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, the, the thing is with, with this is it's only from one of your, uh, one of your foot, your foot spots, the, the target foot to the other. Mm -hmm. It's not a case of your, your constant <coughs> spare cast on the entire body. 
Right, right. And that, I was thinking, just totally, really, very, very uh, localized to that. Well, well, you can totally just draw, draw a, um, a spline through the three points, the either endpoint which are fixed and this midpoint, and you just sort of kind of move the endpoint up and down, and hey, it's like, well, the only thing I can do is move it up. So, yep, still colliding, still colliding. Oh, hey, look, there it is. Um, although there's probably an explicit way to do that as well. Uh, you know, sure. A quadratic spline and make sure it avoids this point. So that's probably an explicit expression for that. But yeah, yeah, uh, and and that would just drop right in uh, to the to the, uh, the 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 blend weights. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, a general thing in this is I've got a whole bunch of like linear blends in this, um, and in general, linear blends in animation are rubbish because they're they're discontinuous in the tangents, um, uh, in the gradients, and, and in a lot of places you can see them. Um, so you have a smooth step function, which you can just like, it's the magic. Hey, make C1 continuous. Well, they're not that great, because you know, if you've got a continuous thing like that, it sort of wiggles weirdly. But at least it's C1, um, and that removes a lot of artifacts. Um, what I tried to do is not put any smooth steps in until it looked bad. So I think I have one smooth step in, in there, um, and then the rest look fine, which is kind of interesting, because I expected there to be more problems. And, it's just one function. It's really easy, but I, I just wanted to avoid putting it in uh, and see how much I could get away with. Uh, and and it, it is nice that, that you know, I think, I, was it one or two? Uh, compared to the, like, tens of ones I do anyway, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty good. So. Just to go back to the retargeting for one second to offer a different data point to Jeff's, um, we just finished shipping Halo, and we have male and female marine characters in our game. We found we were able to retarget about 98% of that animation, and no one notices. Because they are military characters laden down with gear, then the subtlety of those motions are lost unless you have something like an idle animation. But um, it is possible to use retargeting in practice for characters, and even when you're looking at them up close. And obviously, on a console, you really need to get as much of that. Uh, it's basically a compression technique, right? So. Yeah, you you, yeah, you, yeah. you put uh, take a skinny hooker and put on the the big fat guy animation and it, it works. I mean, as you said, <laughs> the feet placement's perfect. Uh, it looks very bizarre. Any other questions? Why don't we? Oh, one more, Charles. as they deem needed. Uh, so we have things like walk and run, and by default, the run is just a sped up walk. Uh, and for characters where that looks fine, it's good because it reduces the memory use. The animators, if they want to make more data points for you know walk 45 degrees, things like that, uh, they can go in and create those extra animations. Same thing with sharing. You know, If you put animations from a male to a female, by default, they could just use all the animations, and then they go and plug in the ones where they think is there like a mapping file that says you use this animation yeah. as your map and then right. fill it in the script or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what no, previous projects I've used just this simple the simple naming scheme like I mentioned. If there's no no thing called walk to run, then it just goes, okay, I'll do a loop. Um, obviously, as the combination space gets kind of big, your file names get kind of big, and the naming, naming scheme is rubbish, and uh, animators seem to be unable to spell 
uh, which doesn't help. Uh, like the number of ways of spe spelling, like I can't remember what it was. We had like four different. You have this whole string thing. It goes, okay, well I didn't find that. Let's look for this, which is the different spelling. And uh, uh, it's just I don't know some. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that's always fun. But uh, okay. Yeah, uh, oh. Probably pluggable stuff would obviously uh, be slightly more robust. I think uh, we'll take a break now and get ready for the next talk. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> now we'll try to start up again uh, 11.15 or so.